You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Here we are again, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully, you all are having a great day. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. I think today's Thursday. Uh, this short week has kind of got me confused, and uh, man, I tell you what, after the 4th of July, uh, I decided, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to take four days off of social media, and I'm going to try to dedicate as much time to the family as possible. Uh, I checked my Instagram and my Facebook uh, like three times throughout the entire four days, pretty proud of that. But now, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this podcast revolves around social media, uh, and uh, the velvet pictures are starting to pop up. And uh, if you know me whatsoever, you know that I am a huge fan of velvet uh, trail cam pictures, and uh, I am excited to go out and check my Exodus cameras uh, this upcoming weekend. Uh, I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be doing a little. Uh, I call it deer stuff. Uh, I'm going to be hanging new trail cameras. I'm going to be hanging tree stands um, in historically good locations. I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, field work and uh, even a little scouting, making sure I have the tree stands, my historically good tree stands in the right spot. I'm even going to add a couple more. and uh, get this really intense week out of the way so a weekend out of the way so it's just one less thing I have to do before the season starts in October Uh, as most of you know uh, I got a kid coming in late September and uh, so October is probably going to be out of the question for me unless it's uh, near the house other than that uh, uh, it's probably going to be all saved for the uh, rutcation and uh, that's alright I think that uh, I need to learn how to stay out of the timber anyway and uh, having a kid is definitely a way to do that but before we get into today's Hunter Profile podcast with Jared Schaefer of West Virginia I want to quickly review with you all the partner discounts that you can receive uh, just from listening to this podcast. I'm just going to start in no random order. 
with Wasp Archery. Uh, they are the broadhead uh, partner of this podcast. And if you enter the discount code Nine Fingers, that's the number nine, followed by the word Fingers, no spaces. You will at uh, at this is at checkout. You will receive twenty percent off of your purchase. So twenty uh, percent off your broadheads is a pretty kick-ass deal, and that is. Uh, wasparchery.com and the discount code is nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers now the next company up and they just decided uh to bump it up even more and this is actually a really good deal um ozonics is now 75 dollars off of all orders over $3.99. So you can get $75 off of your uh, Oz- Ozonix uh, purchase for uh, any order really over $3.99. Uh, it was $50 and now it's $25 additional dollars off. So that should be even more enticing for you guys. Definitely something to look into. I doubt you can find any other discount like that uh, out there anywhere. So uh uh, go to ozonics.com and uh, at checkout, enter the discount code 9fingers17. That's the number 9 followed by the word fingers17, no spaces, uh, and you can save $75 off of all orders over $399. Now, the next one, you all know this one, Deer Lab. Go to DeerLab.com slash Nine Fingers and sign up for a free trial period. Uh, just by going to uh, uh, DeerLab.com slash Nine Fingers, you will be eligible for a free 30-day trial period. Uh, that's pretty self-explanatory. And let me tell you guys, uh, Deer Lab is going to play a, a big role in where and how I set up uh, my running guns and, and where I hunt and how I hunt uh, this upcoming season. Now, uh, the title sponsor of this podcast, and this is a perfect time to take advantage of this because uh, right now uh, everybody's looking to, looking into getting trail cameras and uh, the, the Exodus new Gen 2 cameras are out and uh, the same discount code applies to the new cameras. Uh, that's nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. So go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and you can save $20 uh, off your order or $20 off your trail camera order uh, by entering the discount code nine fingers. Now the last one here is lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. And what that does is it takes you to a place to sign up for a giveaway. We just had our July giveaway uh, yesterday and um, we, we already chose a winner for the four climbing sticks. Uh, there is an assault yet to give away. There is an alpha yet to give away and a climber yet to give away. Uh, and... Um, you can go sign up at lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers. Now, when you do that, you're going to get a discount code 9FC50. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but I just did. And what that's going to do is that's going to give you a $50 off 
all orders over 199 so $50 off orders of 199 or higher and uh, so that's basically 20 that's a 25% off discount right there on uh, a $200 purchase so that's another really kick-ass deal right there and then um, be sure to also check out the other partners and that uh, is Bighorn Outfitters uh, just a really kick-ass operation out of Wyoming I know the owner really well um, and if you're interested in doing a, a a big wild game typical western hunt uh give dustin to De crew a call at bighorn outfitters you can go to bighornoutfitters.com and uh, uh contact dustin De crew the phone number will be on there and you can look at all the pricing you can look at all the uh animals that they uh offer and uh it's just another uh another way to expand your hunting uh and then we have Gearhead Archery. Uh, that's the both uh, partner of this podcast. Guys, I am having a blast shooting their bow. Um, and not just preparing for hunting season, but just fun to shoot. It's really fun to shoot an accurate bow. And Gearhead definitely has that. And it's efficient as well. It's very quiet. Um, so go to gearheadarchery.com and make sure dude i don't care if you have to travel three hours i would if i knew what i know now i would i would definitely travel that far just to test this bow it is definitely worth shooting uh so it's something to consider check out uh, the new gearhead bow and the last one is ripcordarrowrest.com uh be sure to check out ripcord uh they're a staple in uh I mean, they're one of the best drop-away rests on the market, hands down. Uh, definitely a product that uh, I feel every serious archer and every serious uh, bow hunter should have on their uh, on their bow. So check out ripcordarrowrest.com. And uh, that's it, guys. Sorry for the long intro, but I just wanted to make sure that you knew of all the deals that I was offering through the podcast because it is the buying season. A lot of you guys are looking to make purchases right now. And uh, I, I just want to offer these so you guys can get uh, get some savings and uh, support the partners of this podcast because uh, without these guys, uh, I don't exist. So um, it's, uh, well, I do exist, but uh, my it's just a little easier for my wife to swallow when, uh, <laughs> when I'm getting paid to do this. So uh, there is that. Now, enough of the whoring out. I really appreciate you guys uh, listening through all that. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy this Hunter Profile podcast with Jared Schaefer of West Virginia. All right, on the phone with me now, all the way from West Virginia, is Jared Schaefer. How are you doing today, Jared? I'm doing good, Dan. How about yourself? Uh, like I mentioned before we started recording, um, I, uh, after this four day weekend, I am well rested and tired at the same time. <laughs> if, if that makes any sense, how was your holiday weekend? Oh, uh, it was, it was very good. Um, four day weekend with the family, uh, kayaking, fishing, swimming at the lake, nice. you know, just all the good American stuff, you know, but it was a good time, uh, back to work today, but pretty worn out, you know, from the long weekend, but, uh, yeah, I can't complain. So, okay. Random question: Are fireworks legal for the for the public in West Virginia? Uh, certain kinds. Um, 
like the type you shoot into the air are pretty much illegal, I believe, okay. but that, uh, that doesn't stop anybody. <laughs> right. Right. So in Iowa, they just legalized like a very large amount of fireworks, uh, for really? public use. And <laughs> today the news was just blowing up about the <laughs> amount of hospital visits that people right. uh, had because of fireworks injuries <laughs> and like, right. and half of those injuries were like included animals. So it's like, <laughs> what kind of sick shit are people doing to not only have a news story right. about harming people, right. but harming animals as well. Right. Well, I can, I can tell you how bad it is. Um, somebody actually caught one of our wilderness areas on fire over the weekend oh, with some illegal fireworks. So, um, obviously they don't, they don't follow the law, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, I guess, you know, I say that now, but when I was a kid, I probably did some stuff with fireworks and bottle rockets that I probably shouldn't have. Yep. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you sound like Absolutely. you said, you said, yep. Almost like maybe you were that kid too. Uh, well, uh, the last thing I can remember doing with fireworks was lighting an oak tree on fire on my uh, <laughs> dad's property. So yeah, I could, I guess I could say I've been there myself. Yeah, I hear that. All right. <laughs> well, before we get into uh, talking about deer and stuff, why don't you tell us where exactly you live, what part of uh, West Virginia you live, and then what do you do for a living? All right. I'm from north central West Virginia in Marion County. It's just south of Morgantown, and I'm about half hour from the Pennsylvania line. I let's see. Um, best way I can put it is I work for a Department of Defense contractor. We're kind of an engineering firm. Okay. We do different. Um, we build different kind of equipment for the military, different branches of the military, and I'm basically a technician that works with the engineers and puts this stuff together. And it's yeah kind of different um i do all kind of different things but yeah it's a pretty cool job do you have to do you ever deal with anything that's top secret oh yeah i do <laughs> oh man so like bombs yep. and missiles and, and crazy stuff like that uh not stuff like that um nothing that nothing that cool but uh some stuff you know can't really tell you about it you know but <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that would that would suck to get fired over uh, sharing uh, defense secrets on a deer podcast. Yeah, yeah I told this non-fingered dude what would, what I did at work. I'm getting fired for it. So. Did he have an Islamic accent? Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. <clears throat> Before we go down that rabbit hole, um, yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what. You know, like the the county or where you spend most of your time is it public ground is it uh, private ground where, where do you spend most of your hunting time um where i spend most of my hunting time uh, around here where i live in marion county is mostly private parcels um but private um really doesn't mean much in this situation because they're just overrun with other people um the main property that i hunt is about 400 acres and everybody hunts it. I mean, four wheelers running all over it, you name it. I mean, pretty yeah. much anything goes, but, um, I don't know. I like to jump around a little bit, just whatever area is holding the best deer. You know, I try to, to hunt those areas, but it, uh, 
it's usually the the one area I'm talking about. It's highly pressured and it's hard to hunt, but it's usually holds a couple pretty nice bucks on it. Right. So is it one of those uh, one of those areas that uh, the guys who are willing to put in the extra work get rewarded? Yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. <clears throat> gotcha. Well, before we get into you know it really detailed into into all that, let's talk a little bit about you know how old were you when you started hunting and maybe who some of your influence influencers were. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, my dad and my grandfather, uh, ever since I can remember, you know, they, they deer hunted. And, um, if you ask my dad, my first word was deer when I was a kid. So, <laughs> I mean, I just, I grew up around it. Um, you know, I remember very well as a, as a little boy, you know, waiting for my dad to come home after a hunt to see what he got. You know, he was pretty big into bow hunting, but, uh, yeah, he killed a couple of nice bucks with nothing great, but him and my grandfather were, you know, the, they lived for that week of rifle season, uh, during right. Thanksgiving. So I always tagged along with them and actually got my first bow, my first real bow when I was seven years old and they kind of turned me loose on the family farm. Um, we have two 40 acre parcels, one's kind of pasture field and have cows and stuff on it and they would turn me loose on that and I would chase deer and <clears throat> man, I sure missed a bunch of them. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, definitely my, my dad and my grandfather and, uh, started rifle hunting with them. And I killed my first buck with a rifle. It was a five point when I was 12 years old in 1998. That was my okay. first deer. Nice. So, you know, when you were, 12 years old i mean what kind of preparation did, did uh, your your dad and your grandfather have you do did they did they make you go out did they make you shoot uh, did did they require you to be accurate before they allow you to get into uh, the timber and actually hunt uh you know i i was insanely accurate with like a pellet gun and stuff like that you know when i was growing <laughs> up so i could definitely shoot but as far as like you know, practicing with a deer rifle, you know, I did shoot a little bit and I could shoot just fine. But, uh, yeah, that, that first deer, um, was sitting in a big open field and it came out and, uh, he made me watch it for about a half hour and wait for the perfect shot on it. And before he let me shoot, but, uh, as far as, you know, proving my skills, I guess you could say really wasn't too much of that but uh it really wasn't any other preparation as far as hunting goes they just kind of went to their normal spots and that was that there really wasn't a whole lot of scouting involved or anything like that (laughs) so you were 12 years old when you killed your first deer who was with you when 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 that happened my dad was your dad was okay so then what what was it like i don't can you remember that far back what it was like to pull the trigger and know that you shot uh, your first deer ever what was that can you remember what that was like oh yeah i get chills thinking about it right now um i had my grandfather's 243 bolt action and uh i can remember that deer in the crosshairs to this day and i didn't really have a rest you know i was like resting off a log (laughs) Yeah. And I can remember the crosshairs just like wobbling all over the place. And, 
you know, as it crossed his shoulder, I pulled the trigger and uh, the deer actually just dropped like a rock, you know, right in my scope. I remember that like it was yesterday. And uh, dad pounded me on the back, you know, you know, saying, you got him, you got him. It was, it was pretty awesome. I'll never forget that. Nice. And then from that moment, I mean, were, were you hooked then or was there some other events that happened further on down the road or even before that, that allowed you to go, Oh my God, this deer hunting thing is for me. <laughs> I was, I was pretty much hooked. I mean, before that I was just ate up with it. I mean, I grew up watching the, the real tree monster bucks, you know, the, the first you know video ever come out or whatever i that's that was what i did like that was my cartoons was real tree monster bucks (laughs) right so then so then as uh you know you know you shot your first deer when you were 12 what happened after that um when did you start really getting into bow well before we get into that question here's a question i was thinking about uh, the other day how old were you when your parents or you your dad let you go off by yourself? Um, I would say seven or eight when I was, when I first got my bow, um, mainly because they could watch me, you know, out in this big pasture field. My, uh, my grandfather's house was right there so they could, you know, kind of let me go off. And I don't, I don't really think they thought I was ever going to get anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't have much trouble sneaking up on the deer. I just couldn't hit the daggone things. But uh, I'd say with a bow, seven or eight years old, with a gun, um, the first year I hunted was when I was 12, and he was with me then. And he was kind of always with me with a gun until I was uh, 15, 16. Okay. So at that point, it was just kind of walk you to, uh, you know, all right, bud, your tree stands 100 uh, yards down that way, go, you know, where it's at, go find it, that kind of situation. And then you hunt by yourself or did he, did he walk you to the stand and, um, did he, uh, you know, kind of give you direction or was it, Hey, you know what you're doing? Go get him. <laughs> um, when we, when he took me bow hunting, uh, he would kind of walk me to a tree and say, you know, this is a pretty good spot. The deer should come from this direction. He would, I had an old climbing stand and he would, stay there until I got climbed up and situated. And then he would move on, you know, maybe like a hundred yards away just so he could kind of watch me, you know, right. And, uh, let me make my own mistakes. <laughs> right. So as you, you know, you started, you started hunting when you were 12 and you started hunting by yourself when you were like 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, mm-hmm. when, when did you really start getting into the archery portion of it? Um, I killed my first deer, a button buck with my bow when I was 16. So I hunted, you know, from like seven, eight years old to 16 and I missed countless deer, you know, never hit one, never wounded one or anything. But, um, my dad was never big into like, you know, making sure your bow was tuned and all that. And when I was, (laughs) I mean, he would literally like throw the rest on there and arrows would be shooting all crooked and stuff. And he'd you know, tell me not to worry about it, just go kill a deer. But, um, <laughs> I was never, I was never okay with that because, you know, I knew that was the reason why I was missing. Right. So when I was 15, I really started, you know, buckling down, um, trying to learn 
how to get my bow tuned, you know, kind of myself, just kind of figuring it out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I was 16, went out one evening by myself after school, right behind our house, we have a, a three acre field and uh, a little button buck come in and I put a perfect heart shot on it. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> so then compared to your first kill with a gun, what was the, was it different? Was it a, a different feeling once you, once you killed a, a deer with a bow? Um, Cause I've talked to a lot of guys who it's almost like their, their first gun kill doesn't even register compared to their first bow, you know, the bow kill because bow hunting, you have to be really close and really quiet and, and a lot right. more things come into play than a long, like a longer distance shot. What was that? What was that like for you? Yeah, it was, it was definitely different. Um, I mean, it was a tiny little deer, but I can just remember watching it slowly feed up the hill and I was just shaking like you wouldn't believe, but, um, I'd missed so many of them up to that point, you know, when I released that arrow and I watched it, you know, hit him perfect. And then the deer actually ran toward me and it died right underneath my tree. So, you know, I kind of watched that whole thing happen and yeah, it was, uh, it's definitely something I'll never forget. It was, you know, really small deer, but I mean, it, I don't think I could have been any more excited if it was 180 inch buck, you know? <laughs> right. For sure. For sure. So then, you know, w- was that uh, a point where everything became bow hunting or were you still bow hunting and gun hunting, uh, you know, splitting it up and just getting out and trying to hunt as much as you can? Yeah, I would, you know, still to this day, I I enjoy gun hunting a lot, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would just, whatever was in season, uh, muzzleloader, rifle, bow, I mean, I just, I was just out there every chance I could get. It didn't matter what weapon it was with. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, how many more, how many more deer did you kill with your bow while you were in high school? Um, the very next year I killed a spike which is still to this day one of my farthest shots. It was 47 yards. Whoa. I killed a spike. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I killed an eight-point the year after that. Okay. So I killed, I think I killed four deer before I got out of high school. Maybe it was more than that, but I know I killed a spike and an eight-point and a, another mature doe. So it uh, after that first one, it kind of clicked with me. So then as you, you know, as your hunting skills kind of progressed, when did you start getting into like the whitetail freak type of, uh, scenario where, um, you know, okay, enough of these, enough of the spikes, enough of the small bucks. Um, I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to start really focusing on, uh, maybe maturity. Or, I mean, and maybe I'm just, I'm assuming this at this point. Um, (laughs) Is there, is there a standard that you have today? Uh, And maybe has that progressed throughout the years of, uh, of hunting? Yeah, definitely has. I'd say around 2007, eight, I started kind of targeting like two and a half year olds, which is around here is a, you know, pretty decent eight. And I'd say starting... 2012 13 you know kind of jumped up to a three and a half year old and uh which around here is is still a pretty good buck so 
even now to this day, a good three and a half year old, I won't pass up, but I, I don't try to target those bucks as much. I try to look for a four and a half, which is, um, which is a little more rare around here, but it's, uh, it's been getting better over the last few years, but yeah, I'd say I try to target the, like the four and a half year old age class at this point. Okay. So over the years, that's kind of progressed. What about your strategy? How has that progressed? Um, and what did you do to educate yourself on how, you know, how whitetails move their senses? And, and then how did your strategy as a hunter change after educating yourself on that? Right. Um, I've always been kind of a mobile guy. I've never really sat in one place for very long. If I sat in one area and I saw something moving off in the distance, I would move toward him, you know, and, uh, it took me a good while to figure out, you know, why they're moving, where, you know, what the reasons were, which, you know, I'm still figuring that out today, but, uh, um, I'd say uh, like 2013 or so, I really started putting the pieces together on, you know, where they bed and, you know, where they feed and all that. But, uh, I'd say the last really two years, I really feel like I've really stepped up my knowledge of, you know, what they're doing exactly. Gotcha. So where, where have you been going for that information? What, I mean, do you, do you read or is it a lot of it just trial by error in the timber? Um, a lot of trial by error until, you know, last couple of years, you know, slowly figuring it out on my own, but then, yeah. Um, you've had a lot of guys on there from the hunting beast and I got, uh, turned onto that forum, you know, maybe two years ago yeah. and it just all started falling into place. Just light bulb going off, you know, going off in my head, you know, stuff that I've seen, but never could put the pieces together. But yeah, Dan Infault and those guys on the hunting beast, man, they're, uh, they're something else and they know what they're doing. Yeah. And, uh, I really try to listen and, you know, try to put that into play where I hunt and, uh, it's definitely paying off the last two years. <clears throat> Can you provide me with, uh, some specific examples of what you've learned from the hunting beast and, and maybe how you've applied those to, to, uh, your farm or, or your hunting strategy? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I would always have kind of an idea of where the deer would be bedded, but, uh, the wind never really you know, never really crossed my mind. I always knew that I should hunt with the wind in my favor, you know, whatnot. But, um, when I, when I really started to listen to Dan and how bucks, you know, bed off a point, you know, third down, you know, third of the way down the hill, wind at their back. Um, I really started to think about the areas that I hunt and the way the wind usually blows, which is Southwest West wind is pretty common in my area. So, I just kind of started looking at the map and where these deer might be bedded, you know, with, with cover and everything. And, uh, it's, it, it seems in my area, it's, you know, the Northeast facing slopes with, uh, around here, it's a lot of mountain laurel, like big rock ledges and mountain laurel yep. and, uh, any Northeast facing hill with some of that mountain laurel on there. I mean, it's money. I mean, that's, that's where those bucks are at. Okay. So once I kind of figured that out and, um, you know, 
And another thing is access routes. You know, before I would just kind of go plowing through the woods, you know, no really regard to, you know, after the hunt, you know, where I might be bumping deer that are coming out. But, you know, once I started thinking about that and where they might be betting based on the wind, um, man, I've seen my success go way up. <laughs> right, right. So what is it about, first off, talk to us a little bit about the ter- actual terrain of where you spend most of your time hunting. What's it like uh, okay. in regards to pasture, ag, timber? It is mostly big timber. Uh, it's rough, steep country. Um, Are you in mountain walls. country? Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. mountain country. Um, it and the southern part of our state is is way worse than up here, but it's it's still pretty rugged up here. Um, the main area that I hunt is two, basically two ridges that run uh, southwest, northeast. Um, you know, the bottom point being in the southwest, and they're kind of like a skinny ridge top, and then you got benches that run along the side of each ridge on basically both sides, but, right. um, where a bench runs around that has, you know, the mountain laurel on it, um, on the downwind side, that's, that's basically where these are spending their time at, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty rough country. Okay. Um, so is this a uh, country where like most of the places that I hunt, there are a couple exceptions. I don't need to really worry about thermals at all. Um, right. Is this steep enough to where you have to start worrying about uh, morning and evening thermals? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Um, you could be standing at the bottom of the hill and the wind's blowing, you know, it's taking your scent up. When you get up on top, it's blowing down over, so you get that swirling effect up right. near the top. So, And because of that, I hunt really high sometimes, 35, 40 feet even. So, Whoa. yeah, it's it's definitely something to, that is really tricky. Okay. So how do, how do the deer use that? Because I've noticed on some of the, uh, farms that I hunt, um, that have kind of some steeper ravines, not necessarily big enough to have, you know, be like, have the thermals dictate how I hunt, but, um, you know, it'll come over the top of one ridge. Uh, it'll go down the ravine. It'll come back up and meet and meet some probably thermal or or a, a calm wind and then just swirl in that ravine right yep yep and then i and then the deer they they like to travel the the ridge where the wind blows over top of the ridge comes down yep. and right where that right where the the wind is coming from the other ravine and swirling back around and meeting that that thermal or that uh it's almost like a, a chain this the specific area on the ridge where i th- i feel that they can smell both sides of the ridge without having yeah. to be on both sides of the ridge you know what i mean yep that's exactly what i see here and it's uh yeah it's tricky and this this buck that i killed last year was a perfect example of that you know there was a little point that comes down and uh it's kind of a you know laurel thicket with big boulders and then it opens up in the more open timber and he was bedded just on that transition line and uh pretty much right you know exactly like you're describing right where that wind is swirling so he can 
he can see below him and he can smell anything above him. And it's, it was a pretty much a miracle that I got set up the way I did, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I've seen. So, you know, we, as bow hunters, we fail a lot and that, that educates us. What are some of the, the things that you failed at, but were able to turn around and use it as an advantage? Oh man, I've blown more chances than I can, than I can think of. Um, the big thing with me was access. You know, I'd fall right in line with the other hunters around me, ride my four wheeler, you know, to within 150 yards of my stand and, you know, walk up and get set up, you know, not think about the wind and, uh, just get busted time after time. But, uh, you know, when I started paying attention to that stuff and, you know, going out of my way for access, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not taking the easiest way in, you know, some, some of the ways I'm coming in now is probably three times as hard, but, um, yeah, I've definitely blown whole bedding areas out, just going in the wrong way, coming in from the top or the winds blowing down into the bedding area. And, you know, you just see white tails <laughs> flying everywhere, but, right. um, definitely done that a time or two. Give us an example of, uh, a- an access that access route that specific access route that you were talking about of you know now after doing your research and and you know failing it's it takes you longer to get there but it's it's worth it yeah this uh last year this buck that i shot um there was three good bucks using this bedding area and it was always a spot that i accessed from the top of the ridge because i could ride the ATV down, park within a quarter mile and have a pretty easy walk. And then I could just drop down over the side of the ridge while hunting the downwind side of this bedding area. So I was hunting it with the wind in my favor, but I was coming in from the top. So no doubt my, my, uh, my scent was blowing down into that bedding area. <clears throat> and I knew that these deer were using this spot a lot. You know, I had trail camera pictures of three or four good bucks and you know, I started really thinking about it and decided that I needed to come in from the bottom, which is a long walk and it's really steep. Yeah. So <clears throat> I got to looking at it and there's a ditch that runs down, you know, down this uh, ridge. And I decided that if I come in from the bottom and followed that ditch up, that I could get in a tree within 70, 80 yards of where these deer are bedded at. So, um, this past year was actually my second time in there. I hunted it once and, uh, I didn't see anything, but the second night I went in, wind in my wind coming down the hill and, uh, I was able to slip up that little ditch and climb a tree. And, uh, this buck was bedded 70 yards away and he got up probably half hour before dark and he walked right to me. So just that change in access route paid off in that situation nice so how did you locate this buck uh was this something that you did preseason with trail cameras or do you see him from the stand i mean did you have history with him yeah this buck was a pretty interesting story um i actually got one picture of him in 2013 i'm pretty sure he was a two and a half year old he was a pretty nice eight point and then in 2014 Again, I got one picture of him, and he was a he was a dandy eight then, 
And then I didn't see him in 2015. So, you know, I figured he got poached or shot or whatever, which is pretty common out here. But um, then last summer, I got a picture, just one picture again of a big mature seven pointer. And I couldn't really place him. I didn't know what buck it was because I'd never seen a, a seven point this big. But um, I got a picture of him on a field edge in the middle of the night. And the only picture I got. So I figured out this bedding area from the, the year before running trail cameras where I had several bucks using this, this area and lots of pictures in the daylight. So I set up a camera in that area. And uh, when I checked it, this buck was on there. He was there every morning. You could, you could watch him going into the bedding area and then he'd come out in the evening. So I knew he was bedded right there close and it was him and another probably 140 inch 11 point and another good eight point. So there was three bucks using this area. And, uh, I kind of set up more as an observation stand, kind of a little, you know, a little ways back from the bedding area, hoping just to see exactly where he was bedded at. And I got lucky. The, yeah. It was my second sit in that area, but I got lucky and he, he was actually bedded 70 yards away and walked right to me. <laughs> Did you have to grunt or anything to get him to come to you? Or was it just one of those things where you were between him and where he wanted to go? Yeah, well, I didn't grunt or anything. Um, I just happened to look up and I saw his rack sticking up and he stood up. And the reason I set up where I did, there's kind of a faint transition line that comes down this ridge where the um, where two different kind of cover types meet. It's kind of a like the laurel thicket and brush kind of meets open timber and grass. And there was a rub line going down that transition line coming down the hill. So I figured any buck that was bedded up there was, you know, once the thermals switched, you know, they were kind of dropping down that hill into that ravine. And that's exactly what this buck did. He just dropped right down there, uh, shot him at 40 yards actually. <clears throat> so I'm looking at the picture of this buck, right? It's the seven pointer. Uh, yeah. You're wearing, is this the one where it's like you, sh it, the, it looks like the shots right in the shoulder. Uh, his ears are down. It's a nighttime picture. You're wearing a headlamp. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's him. I absolutely love big, fat bodied mature bucks. <laughs> that, that, did you happen to weigh him? Because he looks, his uh, body looks huge. He was, uh, he was too, like 245 live weight, I think. Yeah. He was right at two two hundred dressed. I mean, he was, oh, he was beautiful. I mean, I couldn't believe yeah. how big he was when I walked up on him. And uh, even the taxidermist said that was the biggest body deer he'd seen around here in years. Uh, yeah, I think he had like a twenty two inch neck, and it was October first, so it was yeah, you know, well before rut. But yeah, he was a stud. Yeah, that's uh, those big ears just sagging down. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, yeah, yeah, he was awesome. Is that one of your best bucks? Definitely my oldest, yeah. Oldest. Uh, he only scored one thirteen as a seven point, but his uh, his brows and his one G three only equaled like six inches. So you're pretty much looking at like a you know a hundred and five inch four point frame, really. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm thinking he's five and a half years old. I haven't sent his teeth off yet, but you know, just going by trail cameras and what I know of him, I'm pretty sure he's five and a half, which pretty rare for this area. <laughs> right. How how do trail cameras play play a role in 
your hunting season? Are you the kind of guy who goes in and checks them as often as you can? Um, or do you let them set and try to use that information for the following year? Um, the last couple of years, I've really been trying to be a little more careful how I run them. I still run them pretty close to bedding areas. Um, you know, downwind side where I can access them through a Creek or a ditch, like I talked about before, but, um, I've tried to check them, you know, maybe every three weeks, definitely not, definitely not every week. And the last couple of years I've switched to using cell cameras. I've, I've only got two okay. of them, you know, they're so expensive, but I try to put those in my best areas so I can just, you know, stay out of there. But yeah, they definitely play a pretty big role. <clears throat> right. So during the season, as you're hunting, you're still on kind of a three week rotation. Um, what, what about if you, you see a deer or get a, you know, you happen to check a, you know, you're, let's say you're on a deer and you're trying to right. get closer to them. Are you still maintaining that time, uh, that time frame, or are you, you, you starting to check it more often at that point? Yeah, I get a little more aggressive at that point and, you know, try to, put them in an area where I can check, you know, if I'm hunting that area, I can check it as I go in or out. So, you know, if I feel like I need to ramp it up a little bit, I will get a little more aggressive with, uh, moving in on him. Gotcha. Do you do, uh, do you have your cameras out all year round? Uh, I actually just put mine out beginning of June. So I don't really run them. I'll run them until maybe into January just so I can see what bucks have shed and all that. But I don't really run them from January through June. I try to put them back out early June. Gotcha. So what, uh, what do you do when it like preseason, uh, do you already have your stands hung? Um, I, you mentioned earlier that you try to be as mobile as possible. Um, how many right. stands, how many stands do you play around with throughout the year? I actually don't have any stands at all. And I'd strictly use the, the tree saddle. Okay. So you're I one of those guys. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> okay. So how, uh, and that's something that I've heard a lot of guys talk about recently is, uh, the, the tree saddle, um, yep. are, are you, are you convinced with that, uh, that method? Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. so convinced that I sold every other stand that I own. I don't, I don't even own a lock on stand or a climber for that matter anymore. Um, gotcha. the last three years, that's, that's all I've used is a tree saddle and yeah, I absolutely love it. How do you, <clears throat> uh, how do you get your elevation? Um, I either use climbing spikes like a lineman would use. Okay. Or I use the one stick method. I don't know if you ever heard that or not. The like uh, a lone wolf stick. I actually have a muddy. It's a muddy, muddy pro stick, stick okay. with the uh, with the rope and cam cleat on it. But yeah, I can I can climb high as I want just using one stick. You know, climb to the top of it, uh, hang hang off the side of the tree with my saddle, and then just slide it up the tree. Um, takes a little bit longer. It's probably comparable to a climber, but. Uh, you know, you're only looking at two and a half, three pounds. So yeah. definitely a lightweight setup. Is this something that, I mean, are you having to go really deep into the places that you hunt to get, uh, get these opportunities or is it just because, Hey, I want to be as lightweight as possible. 
Um, where I hunt really going deep isn't really isn't gaining anything because everybody has four wheeler access. So yeah. I'm pretty much looking for the overlooked spots that people ride right past, you know, going okay. to the top of the ridge where most people put their stands. But, um, the main reason, you know, being lightweight because I self film pretty much every hunt. So, right. you know, I have all my camera gear in my backpack. So shedding the, the weight of the climber was definitely huge which was the main reason why i switched but it's definitely paid off in other ways gotcha so once uh, do you do any preseason scouting to identify uh you know some of these good locations or by now the properties that you hunt you know the uh, you know where you know you need to be because of terrain features or uh, right or what what's your strategy there my strategy there is postseason scouting so as soon as okay. the season ends i'm out there you know looking at all the rut sign um from this year from see january to march i think i put in 70 miles of scouting okay so um the main areas that i hunt i know pretty well but i still you know try to cover them pretty well so i know you know, if there's anything new going on, but this year I also scouted several different public properties, um, some in Pennsylvania, some in Ohio. So I've already got spots picked out, um, you know, all over the place that I'm going to be trying this year. So yeah, going to be spreading out a little bit for sure. So you're going to have to, you're going to be doing a lot more, uh, in season scouting, you know, finding signs, setting up, waiting. And if it's not good, move to the next place kind of deal. Right. I have several areas now that I feel are pretty good. So I'll, you know, just have to hunt them. And if there, if I need to make an adjustment, I will. But, uh, you know, I have everything marked out on my GPS and access routes and for the wind and stuff already figured out. So uh, most areas I won't be able to go back into until I actually hunt because they're so yeah. far away. But um, there's a couple here close that I'm going to try to check out, you know, before hunting season to see if I need to adjust anything. But for the most part, my scouting is, is done for now. So, <laughs> Okay. So when you go in, it, are you trimming any uh, shooting lanes or are you just trying to get in tight and hope the deer gives you, you know, at least a little pocket to shoot through? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I've, I've never really been one to trim a bunch of lanes and it's, it's cost me some, but, uh, yeah. Also, like you know, it's it's nice not disturbing the woods either, and just slipping in for that that first time sit. So I think that's pretty important too. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, now, kind of going back to that tree saddle thing, have you ever had a a situation where you couldn't turn around uh, to the offhand side of that? You know, a deer came in through the. Uh, let's say, are you do you shoot left or right? I'm right-handed, yeah. Right-handed. So have you ever had a deer come towards you on your right-hand side and you, you missed an opportunity because you, you know, maybe fast or something where you couldn't get spun all the way around in the tree or t twisted right. around in the tree to, to where you couldn't shoot him because of that? Uh, there was one time I had a buck come in. Uh, he was kind of over my right shoulder, like kind of behind me and to my right. And it was a real awkward thing anyway because he came in and he was kind of alert 
so I couldn't, I didn't really have time to get moved around where I needed to be. And, uh, he was, he was down over the side of a ridge on a bench. So it was like a really steep downhill shot. So it was, it was awkward enough. I couldn't get drawn on him and I, I missed that one, but there's been several other bucks that came in to my right and, uh, I was able to take him no problem. So it has its pros and cons, but I don't think it's any different than anything else, honestly. Right. So, you know, in Iowa, and, you know, I'm talking about I'm blessed to hunt where I hunt, and I can, you know, right. I've, I I have the opportunity at some some big antlered bucks, you know, some big bodied bucks. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who I'm looking for maturity uh, four right. or older. Um, you mentioned you're kind of after four-year-olds as well. But describe what a – describe what a – a three-year-old or a two-year-old is, you know, your average two-year-old, your average right. three-year-old, and maybe your average, your average four-year-old. And I know when they get to four-year-old, it's probably a, a wide range of options, but that's right. probably the, yeah. that's, that's probably that same with every age class. So what's the average, what are you looking like for averages in West Virginia? Um, a two and a half year old up this way, um, maybe 105. Okay. Now, 100 to 110, you know, at the top end for like yeah. a, a, a nice eight point. Um, three and a half, um, you know, depends on the deer again, but, you know, 115 to 120. And then four and a half, you know, you can get up, you know, poking young size. But like the buck I killed last year was a perfect example of big buck, but just no rack. So, right. Um, That's just genetics. Right. Yeah, it yeah. is. And, they're not the greatest where I hunt. Um, I have seen some really nice deer that would probably push, you know, over 140. I don't know if I've seen a legit 150 up here, but uh, yeah, it's hard to hit that Pope and Young mark up here. They're just few and far between. Uh, I hunted one two years ago that was he was a mainframe 12 split G2s. He was a he was a giant. He's probably yeah close to 150, but. Uh, yeah, somebody poached him. So. Oh, Jesus, man! Like yeah. every every story I hear about poaching is from West Virginia. No offense, but <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, this guy I know down the road he poached. Oh, this guy's a poacher. Where are you from, West Virginia? Jesus. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, it definitely uh, happens. Yeah, and it's it happens in every state, but um, right. Yep. You know, we've had some guys on here from Logan County, and that's an archery yep. only. Uh, an archery only, uh, kind of, uh, I guess yep. county or zone or whatever. Yeah, it there's, is. there's, there's four archery only counties. Yeah. Down at the Southern end of our state. Okay. And, uh, it's it, pretty wild country down there. You don't know what you're going to run into back in them hills. Yeah. Well, and they have some giants, uh, from my understanding oh, yeah. that, that are back in there, but do you, yeah. I mean, are, are you guys getting the, uh, the the four-year-olds on a regular basis or is it something that is because of guns uh, having a gun season it's very like how rare is a four-year-old um the last few years it's really not as rare as it used to be and maybe it's because i'm better at finding them i don't know but um the last few years i've had i'd say at least two every year that were four and a half um yeah. I can't say there's been any that were over that except for the one I shot last year, but, um, 
it's getting better. People are starting to pass up some deer. You know, it, you can still kill three bucks up here. So, oh wow, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> three bucks for uh, is that for anybody or just landowners? No, that's for anybody. Anybody that has a West Virginia license, you can kill one with a bow, one with a gun, and one with a muzzleloader, and you can you can buy extra tags. So if you you know you can kill three altogether through the whole year pretty much any weapon but uh yeah it's it's crazy <laughs> so do people do that i mean do people do do you run into this where okay well i got three buck tags i'm gonna shoot three bucks and no does uh i'll tell you what i see a lot of is people that say well i'm gonna shoot the first buck i see and then the, the second one i'll wait for a nice one so yeah. people will whack the first you know spike six point they see and then they don't kill another deer, you know, cause they don't hunt that much, but I see a lot of that. Um, yeah. as far as shooting three bucks, I don't think too many people do it, but I do think that people shoot a, you know, a young buck with hopes of going out again and maybe shooting a big one. So. Gotcha. All right. Is that a, is that something that you practice or are, do you just kind of focus on, I mean, if the opportunity presents itself, would you take three bucks or are you strictly, you know, I'm only focused on this particular category of deer. Well, I'm not going to say I wouldn't shoot three bucks if they were, you know, good deer. And yeah. I get to hunt, you know, some different properties. So I, I definitely wouldn't want to shoot three off of one property. But right. um, I try to I try to hold myself to kind of one buck if I can. You know, I try to target one or two deer and see if I can get one of those. But um I can't remember a time where I've ever killed three bucks in a year. So, right. have you had a have you had a two year or a two buck year? Yeah, yeah, I've had a few of them. Um, I've actually had a couple two buck years here lately, but I've also I've been hunting Ohio, so I killed I've killed okay. one over there and then one here, so I kind of spread it out a little bit. Nice. So, uh, West Virginia is your home state. Uh, do you same type of terrain over in Ohio or is it completely different? Yeah, it's about the same, um, Southeast Ohio, which is about two hours from here, but yeah, it's, you know, pretty rugged country, pretty steep. It's, uh, that's, it's not quite as steep, but it's, you know, it's still pretty rugged. So it's not, I'm not like hunting farmland or anything like that. It's mostly big timber. Right. <clears throat> so are the deer, is the quality of deer different from West Virginia to Ohio where you hunt? Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, you drive across the Ohio river and it's just a completely different world. Uh, it's, it's insane how, how much bigger the deer are. And I think it's, you know, a little bit better genetics over there and one buck limit. So I think that makes a difference. <clears throat> right. Right. Uh, now, does, is your strategy the same over there in Ohio? Are you still using the uh, the saddle? Yep. yep, yep, definitely using the saddle. Um, the places I hunted in Ohio, what's that? Is that a public piece, a lease, or or a private property over there in Ohio? Um, we actually had two different leases over there. Um, okay, it was just my myself, my dad, and a good friend of ours. Um, the first one that we hunted was 140 acres of uh, row planted pines. I don't know if you've ever hunted pine trees or not, but <laughs> that was a little bit of a learning curve there. But it was uh, it was pretty good hunting. I killed 
two pretty decent bucks over there. And my dad killed a 140 inch eight point with 10 inch brow tines. Oh, wow. So, that's a good, that's a yeah, good we, year. pretty, pretty good area, but, uh, they ended up clear cutting it. So we lost it. And then we had another one last year that was, uh, it was terrible. I mean, it was mostly clear cut and it had more pressure on it than probably any public land. So, <laughs> <laughs> so do you, I mean, hunting Ohio, um, because it's away from your house, uh, is this a lease that you're going to have again this year? No, we actually dropped the lease that we had last year. So, um, I'm planning on hunting public land over there, just, you know, putting the stuff into practice that I know and just see what I can do. Uh, I got some areas scouted out that I think will be good. Um, so we'll just see how it goes. <laughs> do you, uh, do you, uh, do you do any shed hunting? Yeah, I actually, I, I shed hunted more this year than I ever have. And I found exactly four sheds. Um, <laughs> only one of them was fresh and I think it might score 20 inches. Nice. So yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. <laughs> So, uh, is it just because, uh, lack of, uh, lack of bucks or just pe- a lot of people out shed hunting? Uh, I think in or this the- area, it's just a lack of bucks really. And they're so spread out, you know, it's just all big timber. So there's, there's no one food source to, to concentrate them. So it's, it's just hard to tell where they're at. They're, they're just so spread out. Right. So is this, uh. I mean, you're, you're a whitetail fanatic. You love to bow hunt. Um, do you have any, what's your bucket list like? Do you want to go out West to any, do you want to go to Alaska, Africa, anything like that? Definitely Iowa. So if you want to invite me out, I'll, I'll be out. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if I had a dollar Um, for every time I've heard that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, no, actually we're planning a mule deer hunt in uh, Wyoming. I've got, I think we got seven preference points now, so oh, nice. we're going to try to put in um, next fall to see if we can draw and do a do-it-yourself public land hunt in Wyoming. So oh. that's uh, in the works, uh, but definitely looking into some other hunts. I'd, I'd love to go out west. I've never been out there, but uh, yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely on the bucket list. <clears throat> yeah, I uh, I got to go buy my preference point for wyoming uh tonight yet after i get off this uh after i get off this call but uh uh, i'm looking forward to uh this year probably is not going to happen at you know the more i think about it uh got a baby due in uh, (laughs) september which is not a good time to go out west right (laughs) if i want to if i want to live to you know to tell the story right no i know the struggle man yeah how many how many kids do you have (laughs) I have two. My son is eight and my daughter's two. So yeah, that's what nice. keep me busy. Nice. Uh, are you, are you done having kids? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Good. Good. I'm going to, I like, I think one of my sponsors should be like uh, a urologist who does the vasectomies because I'm like, I, I'm a walking testament to, uh, to too many kids can really alter your hunting time. Yeah, we uh, we tried to plan around that. My son was born in July, and my daughter was born in December. So we almost kind of hit, you know, missed the mark on that one, but it yeah. it worked out. There's none in November, so that's right. kind of nice. Right, and there never <laughs> will be, right? Right, yep, right. that's right. <laughs> well, I tell you what, man. Uh, Jared, I, I appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast and uh, 
just BS with us for a while about your hunting strategy, where you hunt, how you hunt. And uh, I really appreciate that. Thank you much. Hey, thanks, Dan. I appreciate you. Thanks. And that brings us to another end of another podcast on another day, on another week of another month. Thank you guys for tuning in. Huge shout out to Jared for coming on the podcast and BSing with us for a little bit. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for sticking around to the very end and uh, listening to me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast. Remember guys, it's the buying season now. Get prepared for this uh, upcoming season and be sure to take advantages uh, advantage of all the offers that I'm offering through the podcast. Huge shout out to Exodus, the title sponsor. Huge shout out to Ripcord, Deer Lab, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf, uh, Tree Stands, Ozonics, Gearhead Archery, Wasp Archery, and I think that does it. Uh, please go out and support them. Thank you very much for doing that. If you haven't already, go sign up to be a member of the National Deer Alliance. That is very important. Um, go to D- National Deer Alliance and, uh, long story short, just become educated. And uh, this weekend, I will be out hanging tree stands. And I'm going to wear my safety harness. And I think that you should wear your safety harness too. So if you're in the timber, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week.